Jesus, we are so grateful for who you are. Lord, that you, you provide us hope. God, and not just a, a wavering hope, but a hope that is unshakable, that is sturdy, that withstands the pressures of this world. Jesus, we love you. And we are so grateful for how you have moved in and through us. Lord Jesus, for how you speak to us in the moments when we aren't even listening. Lord, how you send us with this extended church family. Lord, to welcome in with open arms and to, to be together and one united in Christ. Lord Jesus, you know exactly the week that we had. God, you know the struggles that we had. You know the ways that we laughed. Jesus, you saw it all. And God, today, this morning, we set aside a time just to lean in closer and to listen to you. Jesus, I'm so amazed that every time we choose to lean a little bit closer, you speak a little more clearly. Lord, in your love, it reaches a little deeper into our hearts. Jesus, today, can we, can we lean closer to you? Lord, can we find hope and comfort and peace? Lord, and can we find a resilience? Lord, a resilience like that anchor that faces all of life's storms but comes out on the other side firm and secure for we have this hope as an anchor for our souls Lord we love you we trust you we give you all of our burdens and all of our excitements our mountaintops and our valleys we submit them to you and say Lord whatever you fulfill in us we will surrender to you it's in Jesus precious and holy name amen you can have a seat I feel like I'm in like the produce aisle at Walmart with all these pumpkins and an onion. So if you need a pumpkin for your household, please take one. Um, I'd love it uh, to, to give you a pumpkin or six. Uh, they're spread around the entire church. If you find one and you're like, wow, pumpkin doesn't go there. There you go. Take it home belongs on your front stoop. So uh, anyway, uh, good morning. Welcome to church. I am excited to see your guys' beautiful faces. Uh, I look forward to Sunday every single week, and that might make me a nerd. I don't know. But um, I wasn't going to do this and embarrass Elizabeth, but it wouldn't be a Sunday morning if I didn't. So um, Elizabeth, uh, she represents our core value navigate that we're going to talk about today. And I remember at the beginning of Anchor Church, Elizabeth led karaoke worship at, at one of our churches that we merged with, and never in a million years did she guess that I would say, I think that maybe you're called to be a worship pastor, and look at where she is today. <laughs> um, that is just beautiful, and I would just love to appreciate her, so if you would, you know, make her feel uncomfortable. And <laughs> anyway. Um, so I don't know about you, but I'm an ugly crier, okay? I'm just going to say it, all right? Uh, there are different levels of crying, right? Uh, and for the men in the room during this introduction, if you want to pretend like you don't cry, that's fine. 
but it will stay here if you do, okay? But there are different levels of crying, right? There's like the tear that happens when you see something beautiful. Like we baptized five people last week. Hallelujah, amen, right? And there was like just a little, like, little tear, like probably like what Chuck Norris gets, just like a little tear down, and it's just beautiful. Then there is something that I would call the angry cry, right? When somebody has wronged you. And man, I don't get like this, but I would feel really upset if that's what I got like. You know, I get so angry and I just start crying. You know, you can't really look tough when you're crying, right? Uh, it just doesn't work. Um, and then there's another kind of cry, and that is the sadness or a stressful cry. This is like when you're driving home from work and you're just like, man, I just got to cry it out and I'll be fine. Does anybody else do that? Just me? Oh, okay, okay, good. Um, and then at the peak of all crying, there is what I call the ugly cry, okay? You know what I'm talking about? The ugly cry. I witnessed the ugly cry the other day um, in somebody else's life but my own, which was fabulous, but um, I was at the Citadel Mall, and Elizabeth and I just had went, and this little toddler was terrified to get on the escalator, and so her mom gets on the escalator, and she says, come on, come on, and she doesn't get up onto the escalator, and so she just starts unleashing the fury, because not only is she scared to get on the escalator, now it's carrying her mother away, (laughs) okay? And she's like, no! And me and Elizabeth are like, what do we do? And you just watch her being carried away. And, and man, red everywhere. Like just a little tiny furry monster came out. And she had an ugly cry. Now, ugly cries happen when, you know, your face swells in certain places. You know, you might breathe really heavy. Uh, you look at yourself and you're like, man, I didn't realize I looked like that um, afterwards. And I had an ugly cry that I very vividly remember, and it was when I accepted Christ for the first time. Um, I was a middle schooler, I was at a youth conference, and I had been dealing with some self-harm and some depression, and I go to the altar, and I accept the Lord as my, um, as my Savior, and I'm sitting at the altar, and just to give you like a, I don't know, a visual, I'm kneeling down, and people come and they start praying over me as one does. And I start praying, and I'm like, Lord, I love you, I trust you, I give you my life. And then I open my eyes, and there is a trunk of snot, (laughs) like two feet long, okay? I would say one foot, but I wouldn't be honest. Two feet long, (laughs) hanging out of my nose, (laughs) and these people are around me praying, okay? And no Kleenex in sight, well, excuse me, this is an altar, but whatever, two feet long, and I look down, and in my middle school brain, I think, okay, how am I going to play this off? (laughs) What am I going to do? And so I'm like, okay. (laughs) There ain't no sniff in the world that was going to get two feet of snot back into my nose. That wasn't going to happen, but I tried, and it wasn't going to happen, and so I did the unthinkable I just kind of It's disgusting. And let me tell you, that was one of the most beautiful moments of my entire life, right? Because I just accepted Jesus. And I'm a pastor now, so you get extra points for that, I'm sure. So it was like a beautiful moment. And even though, I had, and I wonder to this day, I'm sure there are people taking pictures. 
somebody's got that picture. It was like, look at this girl. <laughs> uh, so the sin came out her nose. Um, and that was a beautiful moment for me, but it was not pretty. It was beautiful, but it was not pretty. In fact, it was a little offensive and raw and gross. I'll just say it, gross. But oftentimes when we experience the Lord like that, they are some of the most beautiful moments, aren't they? When we put all of ourselves out there to Jesus, there's this beauty in how authentic we are. We're in a sermon series called Offensive Authenticity, and it means holding nothing back before the Lord. This month is our Restoring Hope Month, and we celebrate every year together that we've been together for another year. And I'm really excited that we are now in year three, y'all. That's good. Uh, that, that is with being told at, at the beginning that 98% of church plants and mergers fail within the first year. But God said, I get that 2%. <laughs> Let's do this. And as we are going through this, this month, I'm excited because we close down our doors at the end of October and we go out into the city and we serve people. We, we serve people because we have this hope, right? And so I want to welcome you to Offensive Authenticity. And over the course of this month, you're going to hear from your pastoral team. You're going to hear from Kurt how to uh, offensively, authentically disciple somebody. You're going to listen to Valerie talk about how to authentically get into this community that we call Knob Hill and how to love them and how to be like Jesus. But I like to pray at the beginning of every sermon series, so would you pray with me? Jesus, this is kind of a moment where we can recalibrate our hearts and our minds on what you have called us to do and who you have called us to be. Jesus, we believe we're a church that is set to restore hope within our city Lord, that we do that by navigating life together. God, I pray that you would help us today to see clearer what that means. Lord, as we listen to Kurt next week and to Valerie the following week, Lord, I pray that our hearts would just come alive with the vision and the mission that they have. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're starting with our first core value, and 50 points to the person who can tell me what it is. Oh, wah. okay. <laughs> uh, our first core value. <laughs> oh, I live with that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> our first core value is navigate. And that means that we believe that encounters with Christ uh, set a new course. And that really just kind of envelops worship. And to worship, this is a definition for you that I'll be working with today, is that to worship is to ascribe worth or to give something value. Kind of like when you're having a garage sale, you know, and you kind of rate the stuff and you stick the sticker on. When we ascribe value to God, we worship him. And so I want to ask the question today, how do I worship authentically? And in order to do that, I want to introduce you to a man named Elkanah. Um, he's kind of an obscure person to some folks. Uh, but Elkanah was a man that had two wives, and his, their names were Hannah and Paniah, or Pania, um, either one, or Panini uh, for short, if, if you want to do that as well. Um, but those two wives of his, uh, 
they, God decided that he was going to bless that family and work through that family. Now, just before we head into this, uh, one husband, two wives, that's not how God intended. Um, polygamy is not something that God ever wanted or ordained, but he decided to work through this family. Now, there was never a BOGO sale on wives. Um, and like, just so we're clear, if you are married in this room, you're probably going to think one is enough. Okay. Um, so so, so, so uh, give, give us some grace, but we're going to be in 1 Samuel, starting in chapter 1, verse 3. Oh, Lord, they let me do this. Okay. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies. I just want you to say that phrase with me. The Lord of what? Heaven's armies. That's powerful. Okay. We don't pray like that anymore. We should. At the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, which I really thought was Phinehas, but we're okay. Pronunciation is just going to be glorious this morning. But um, the two men that are mentioned at the end of this are Eli's sons. And this is important because Eli's sons were notorious for being wicked. They were wicked priests. They did awful things in the sight of the Lord. And this is important because this shows Elkanah's integrity, doesn't it? That even though he knows that these two priests are evil, he says that does not negate the fact that I must worship God. Right? I still have my responsibility. Which we find the first answer to this question. Authentic worship is a lifestyle, not a location. It is a lifestyle, not a location. Authentic worship is not defined by your location. It's defined by how you live your life. These priests lived the closest that somebody could live to the presence of God, and yet they didn't worship him. Now, read this with me. It's in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. That's a good word, right? Scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests that would Whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who is sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. Now, I'm going to be honest. This is incredibly strange to me. If I was making a pot roast at home and you brought a three-pronged fork in and stuck, your, stuck it into the middle of it, I'd be a little stranged out, okay? Be a little weirded out. But what happens in this moment is that God has been being given animal sacrifices. And it was said that part of that animal sacrifice would be given to the priest to eat. But they were doing this completely wrong. They would take this huge fork and essentially like bobbing for apples, um, they would stick it in and whatever they pulled out was the priest. And then it said that they would not let the fat burn off first for the Lord. That's a little peculiar. Um, hist historically at this time, the fat of an animal was said to be the most luxurious part of an animal because it was made out of the excess. You know, to have a fattened calf meant that you had excess amount of food. 
and which I thought was lovely, because the holidays are upon us, people. Okay. And so if you gain a little extra weight, just say that you're adding a little extra luxury in your life. It's fine. Okay. Um, but, but they were taking that for themselves. And I don't know if we can really understand how offensive this is. Imagine if we had communion. Okay. And I'm going to pick on Valerie because why not? Okay. We have communion and I have the bread and the juice and I invite everybody up to take some. And then she comes up at the end, and she plugs in a toaster and pulls out butter and jam for her communion. <laughs> okay? <laughs> that would be incredibly offensive, wouldn't it? That'd be like, man, you just really don't understand the point of this. Meanwhile, she's like, wow, you couldn't have splurged for Sarah Lee. Like, what is going on? But, but this would be missing the point, wouldn't it? It would be missing the point of this sacrament. It would be making it about our bellies, not about God. And that's what they were doing. See, worship is about lifestyle, not location. And this is horrible in the Lord's eyes. This is horrible. This is disgraceful. But man, we can do this too, can't we? We can make worship about a location instead of a lifestyle. We make worship about going to church and checking a box when it was never intended to be limited to one space and one hour on a Sunday. Tony Evans, he says this, if you limit worship to where you are, the minute you leave that place of worship, you will leave your attitude of worship behind like a crumpled up bulletin. Some of the most meaningful worship experiences I've ever had happen nowhere near a church. It's very dangerous to think that going to church and checking that box means that you have worshipped. And we have people all over America that walk into a church but never actually worship. And this is what this story teaches us, that life is the greatest form of worship. Life is the greatest form of worship. I think that we got to witness that in Jean Hunt's life that everything that she was, the way that she lived, the way that she treated you, the how she spoke, how she prayed. It was the greatest form of worship I've ever seen. See, we have a choice to make worship about our lives and to make our lives about worship. You can worship anywhere that you decide to lean into God's presence. Did you know that? And I'm not talking about like carrying around your phone everywhere and just listening to Hillsong on repeat. But you can choose to worship anytime and anywhere when you are open to God's presence. Worship happens when you're in your living room and you look at your family. Worship happens uh, when you watch a sunset or you take a walk on a fall brisk morning. You know, it happens when when you are inside the church building and when you're outside. It's about a lifestyle, not a location. Let me give you some examples. When you go to work, and you give your all as if you're working for God, not for man. That's an act of worship. When you love your spouse unconditionally, even when they aren't returning it, that is an act of worship. When you take out the trash, men, that is an act of worship. Uh, When you make choices because you are an example to the kids that God has trusted you with, that's an act of worship. When When you give God and honor God with your finances, 
When you trust him with the first 10% of your paycheck, that is an act of worship. And then when you do that and you choose that you're going to do the things that God has asked you to do and you're going to refrain from the things he says to not do, that is an act of worship. When you're in a relationship and you think, God says one man, one woman, together for life, and I'm going to choose to wait, that's an act of worship. When you choose to not let sin overtake you, when you decide to make serving a priority, when you choose to let God have the wheel of your life, when you choose to do what he's called you to do, and when you choose to not do what he's told you not to do, all of those things are an act of worship. And then when you come to church and you are living like that, something is different. Because you walk into this building and you worship with other people, and that just happens to be worship too. That all of your life should be singing the praises of God. That we, we ascribe value to him. And we have an opportunity to ascribe value to him in all aspects of our lives. And sometimes we come into this building and people will say, well, I just didn't feel it today. I've said it. I just didn't really get it. I didn't really like that song or whatever. But it's so much not about that. It's about coming to know the Lord. And it's about worshiping him as a lifestyle. I love this quote, and it's written by an anonymous writer. And I'll tell you, if I would have written it, I probably would have remained anonymous as well. But it says, trying to genuinely worship publicly without having had significant times of private worship is like having the dry heaves. You're trying to bring up something that isn't there. Here's the reality is that you cannot worship fully on Sunday if you don't worship with your life Monday through Saturday. It, there will always be a disconnect. And, and when you choose to worship with your life, sermons come alive. Small groups are awesome. Talking with your friends about the Lord is amazing. Uh, praising Jesus is awesome because it is not a location. It's a what? Verse 4, it says, On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifices, he would give portions of the meat uh, to Paniah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Paniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Paniah would taunt Hannah as they went into the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me, isn't that enough? And this is, this is what happened every time that they would give a sacrifice. Panini over here would be super rude, okay? And she would taunt Hannah. She would say, oh, look at you. God hasn't given you any children. And to have children was huge in this time. It was a level status. It was how you knew God loved you to a certain extent. And she would taunt her until it would reduce her to tears, which is interesting in this moment because Paniah would rub it in Hannah's face, and yet Paniah was the one that was blessed with children. She was rude and hateful, 
She took this whole worship thing and made it about her as well. And yet God had blessed her with kids, not Hannah. And man, don't we do this? Why her, not me? We have social media now, folks. We do this on the daily, right? We look at people and we say, why them, not me? We look at coworkers and family and friends and say, they have blessing in their lives. Why not me? You know, we look at it and say, well, why are they married? Why do they have a family or kids or money or vacations or promotions or success? Why them and not me? And Hannah had every reason to say, why her? Why not me? But she doesn't. Interestingly enough, verse 9, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting in his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle, and Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will not be cut. And we learn this valuable lesson here is that authentic worship is done with our best, not our leftovers. Is done with our best. Hannah comes to the house of God with her best and her first before she even meets the kid, before she's even pregnant. And she says, God, whatever you fulfill in me, I will surrender to you. Whatever you answer of my prayer, I will give it back to you. What if we prayed that prayer? Lord, whatever you fulfill in me, I will surrender to you. Lord, whatever you give to me, I will surrender to you. That is what worship looks like. Francis Chan, he talked about this in Crazy Love. He said, God wants our best. He deserves our best and demands our best. From the beginning of time, he has been clear that some offerings are acceptable to him and others are not. For years, I gave God leftovers and felt no shame. And catch this part. He says, I simply took my eyes off scripture and instead compared myself to others. The bones I threw at God had more meat on them than the bones others threw. So I figured I was doing fine. Leftovers are not merely inadequate from God's point of view. They're evil. He's saying that no worship is better than apathetic worship. Authentic worship, it gives God our best and our first and if we're not able to do that, if we give him our leftovers or just a portion, it shows that we don't really understand how to worship. That we don't really get it and we don't know how good God really is. And let's keep reading verse 12. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound. He thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. What? Um, but, <laughs> okay. uh, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't, don't think I am at a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And he said, in that case, Eli said, 
Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request that you have asked of him. Which this situation is a little odd, (laughs) you know? Lady, are you drunk? Because it wasn't normal for people to pour their lives out before God offensively and unfiltered and raw. But she comes in and she gives her all. And he says, woman, what is going on? And she says, I have come to God with great anguish. I've come to God with great pain. I have come to God and I am broken. And I imagine, you know, this is a little embellishment, but I imagine that there was also a snot ring hanging down her nose as well. (laughs) This was a painful and a beautiful moment. And we learn this about worship is that authentic worship is offensive. It looks different. It's real and it's raw and it's us pouring our lives out to God. And they're thinking like living a life that is unashamed. And this is what she does. She lives a life that is unashamed and unashamedly dependent that God's going to answer her prayers. And this is the worship that God has called us to do because it's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. But man, is it so necessary if this world is going to know who Jesus is? It is so necessary. Hannah leaves, and the story ends in Hannah leaves with her family. They get home, and they praise praise the Lord. And she lifts up her hands to God, and it says, in due time, she brought a baby into this world. And some scholars believe that it could say, in nine months, she brought a man named Samuel into this world. Samuel means God listens. She says, everything you fulfill in me, God, I will surrender to you. Everything you fulfill in me, I surrender to you. And and as soon as he can, he goes to the temple to serve God. Listen, Anchor, we have to learn how to worship authentically. How to pour out our lives to God. And it may look strange to others, but we have to stop worrying about who's looking and what they're thinking. Because that's the only way, that is God's plan for this broken world. 2 Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15, it says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance fragrance of the, the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ. You are the aroma of Christ. That's cool. And also, a little weird. But you are the aroma of Christ, okay? To God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Not every day do I feel like I'm the aroma of Christ. And maybe I think, man, maybe he was a little smelly some days. But, but you are the aroma of Christ to this world. You are. You spread his hope like an aroma. I want to invite the worship team up here as I do this for you. Um, Andrew was really nervous I was going to flip this table because it's got a sharp knife on it. But that's okay. See, I think that 
The best way to illustrate this is that we are the aroma of Christ, and it's kind of like an onion. It can sit on this table, and like you probably even forgot that it was sitting here. It didn't really mess anything. I wasn't, you know, tearing up because of it. I should probably start stop swinging this sharp knife. Uh, <laughs> and it, it goes unnoticed. But the second that we cut into it, there's a scent that happens. The second that we, we cut into it, layers are exposed. Things happen, and it could change a room, couldn't it? It shows what's in the inside. And the more that we dice and we cut, the more that we let the Lord get to the inside of who we are to be in charge of our lives, to be in charge of our decisions and our money and the things that we do with our lives and how we pray and how we lead and how we serve and how we work, Lord, how we worship, it changes everything. Because now I am not just an onion, I'm like the aroma of an onion. I got a stank to go with it. But this is the kind of worship that God's de God desires is not for us to just stay neatly, but for us to impact this world with the aroma of Christ. And he says, it is fragrant to others, and to others it smells like death. And yet as we keep cutting, I bet the tears would start coming. I bet the room would start changing. Where has God called you to be the aroma of Christ? Where has he called you to be vulnerable? To make decisions that honor him? Where has he called you to peel back these layers and to let him into the core of who you are? Listen, I don't know what you walked in with this morning. And I'm not going to ask for everybody to come up and smell the onion, okay? What I am going to ask is what would it look like for you to authentically worship Jesus today? Would it mean kneeling at the altar? Would it mean raising your hands? Would it mean saying you're sorry to somebody? Would it mean choosing and committing to follow through with the call that God's placed on your life? I don't know what it is. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we want to be authentic worshipers. Lord, we want to live differently than this world so that they can smell the aroma of your hope. Jesus, I have neighbors, I have friends, I have family that do not know who you are. God, help me live my life with your aroma. Help me be vulnerable enough to be real and authentic before you. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. God, would you speak to us in this time of worship?